Hi. And welcome to Magical Theory Podcast Time. The time of podcasting. The time of podcasting. It is Sunday when we usually record these. (laughs) Sunday morning. We're at the end of March and I can't believe it. I was saying to Jeff, like literally a few days ago, I was like, oh, Fantastic Beast, the movie, the yeah. new movie, Secrets yeah. of Dumbledore it's is almost coming. April. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically halfway through the year. Not quite, not quite. <laughs> not quite, not quite, not quite. <laughs> not quite. Yeah. It's almost a third of the week. Yeah, it's almost a third, which is. We mm. uh, have been working on a lot of Hogwarts Legacy stuff. Oh, yeah. Update. It's all the way over there. I'm not going to grab it, but our Merlin video went live last week, last month, this past Monday, because uh, last week I was cryptically being like, oh, we have a theory video and we're working wow, on it. That was only last week. Yeah. Like, uh... So we like basically after we did Magical Theory, um, we flushed out the rest of the script and then we recorded it. I think at some point I posted the episode of Magical Theory. I think I posted the episode of Magical Theory now. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's up there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it got more viewers on YouTube than usual. Because yeah, people were like, "What is Hogwarts this?" Legacy stuff. Probably autoplays and just checking stuff out. <laughs> it's. I mean, they make a lot of sense juxtaposed, though. It is kind of a different commitment. Oh, I thought I got the pistachio latte, but I changed my mind. Oh, okay, it's, good. It's it's good. It's fine. I picked up some coffee before we started coffee. here. Got some coffee. Yep, yep. Um, also, uh, We're off, working on a second. Oh, sorry. Off camera. Off camera. Uh, we played a little D and D last night, just the two of us, which I've been. This is like the opposite of Profilnet, like a couple years ago, three years ago, where I was like. Yeah, I'll play D&D one-on-one, like just me and Jeff, no other people. Yeah, it was a fun experience. We've never done it. Neither <laughs> of us have done that before, and I think um, it was fun. Do you want to give them a recap of what happened? Yeah, I play Malin, who is a tiefling sorcerer. Um, I I mean, this is all like pretty like intro stuff, so the the world, I will... I will figure out exactly my place in the world, but basically, I'm an adventurer, <laughs> and uh, so I do a, a you know different jobs. And uh, I had a partner named Perry, and so the 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 story, this specific story, started of me at Perry's uh, cremation ceremony, and. Um, Perry died while we were working on something together. There were uh, eventually, like we will, uh, like I remember or like I know this already. There were goblins involved, and <laughs> um, right, goblins. Mm-hmm. Okay, goblins were involved, and basically, yeah, I saw Perry die. Took the body back uh, to her hometown, and you know, was at this ceremony. Uh, you know. We walked back to the town. I Jeff noted that there was a man with a bowler hat just casually leaning by a tree. And I was like, okay, uh, at some point I would like to find this person again because that's, I mean, Lynette's like, that's us. I don't know if Malin actually cared. Um, eventually, at back at the bar, met this bowler hat person. Actually, no, I didn't meet him. I tried to read his thoughts. So <laughs> Malin's whole deal is that she is like, 
charismatic in a deceptive way. So she's really strong at, um, you know, persuasion. And I mean, this is this is like in her um, in her uh, what do you call it? It's not crime. I, I don't know if I want to say that I do crime. I just do jobs. Oh, yeah, in you do, the jobs you that, that I heist, do. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the jobs that I do, mm-hmm. part of my role is to be persuasive and, you know, shady, maybe, you know, steal some things along the way. Yeah, we're going to get back to that one. <laughs> so I, I have this special medallion that allows me to detect surface thoughts. And I, I like to imagine that Maylin uses it in part of her persuasion or trying to like get into spots with people but this guy i couldn't read his thoughts so then he uh or a voice i heard was like oh that's not gonna work like come sit next to me so i recklessly i don't know why i did this um he was playing with a coin and so i asked to see it and the coin transported me into some sort of memory of when perry and i were fighting the goblins and perry died except it played out differently than what actually happened. So I was like losing my mind because I was like, okay, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> and then the coin was pulsing in my hand. And then uh, I got transported back after this. Everyone survived. We killed the goblins. And I'm back, back at the bar with this man. I tried to get his name, but I at the end, too late. I don't know what his name was. Um... Then he pointed out that Perry was right next to me. So, uh, yeah, she's alive now, and we are. I have a magic coin. <laughs> uh, That's was probably too many details that that uh, that necessary, but that was that was what happened to me yesterday. That's basically how I remember it too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it should be fun. Yeah, who knows how frequently we'll play. I don't know. But yes, we were also um, talking about other videos because we have been doing shorts as well of doing kind of little, um, you know, zooming in on the details that were presented in the Hogwarts Legacy state of play with the gameplay that we got because there are so many details and not just the, the gameplay, but the behind the scenes component. So Jeff did a couple videos. He did one on the map of the world. Mm. And I am blank. Oh, the room with the rune, the mysterious runes. Yeah. Where it was there were these numbers. Uh, but they were they were represented by animals, which I don't remember if we've seen in other spots before. I'm sure that they probably were in other spots, but I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. Well, they're in other games, I guess, those mm. runes. But yeah. There is a lot. We love that stuff. Yeah. It's magical theory time. It's magical theory. Oh my gosh. I did the one with Aladdin that's on the stained glass. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not, not I'm, I'm going to be pushy. I don't know if anyone has ever noticed. Oh, that's not this logo. Wherever our magical theory logo is, up, oh, up here. There's stuff on that's our logo. One. Okay. The end. Also, <laughs> semi literate uh, yeah. foreign languages. <laughs> Google Translate. We're just having a good time. Google Translate Latin. (laughs) Do we get into it? We should. Lon's ready. Turn to page 433. Rita Skeeter's Scoop. Today's lesson is called Half Lies. The chapter begins with Harry and the Gryffindors tired after the Yule Ball. 
Ron and Hermione apparently have called a detente after their argument, while Harry has nagging anxiety about the second task but refuses to heed Cedric's advice. When classes start back for second term, the trio discover Hagrid has been replaced by Professor Grubbly Plank, and Malfoy gleefully shares that it's due to an article by Rita Skeeter outing Hagrid as half-giant. If Hagrid is home, he refuses to answer their pleas to see him. In Hogsmeade, they find Ludo Bagman huddled with a few goblins in the corner of the three broomsticks. He speaks with Harry, but not Fred and George, and offers Harry help in the tournament after bemoaning the whereabouts of Barty Crouch and Bertha Jorkins. After a confrontation with Rita Skeeter, Hermione marches to Hagrid's hut and demands to see him. Eventually, the door is opened by Albus Dumbledore, and the group console Hagrid and encourage him to come back. So that's how you say that word, detente. Detente, yeah. I've seen... Okay, this is this is totally tangent. I saw that word recently in, like, context clues. Like, I figured out what it meant, but, of course, like, if you read a word, you don't necessarily know how to pronounce it, so... Something, something that now I I know how to say. Um, Professor Grubbly Plank. Yeah. I tried to find info, like more specific Grubbly. info. I could not find much other than like substitute teacher is like the role. Well, I think there's a line at some point when Hagrid becomes the teacher in year three. Uh-huh. Dumbledore says something like, Professor Grubbly Plank has retired in order to spend time with her remaining limbs or something. Oh, he meant it's Wilhelmina, right? Yeah, is that who this is? Wilhelmina okay, okay, because um, oh my God, what's his face? Uh, the other guy. Um, oh my God, I'm going completely from memory, so I did not look anything up about this person. I th- I think the... she's a she. I don't, I can't even remember now. The guy with the peg leg, Moody. No. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm having a total brain fog moment. What it's a Kettleburn. Oh, Was maybe that... it's. Maybe it's he was there. So he Kettleburn is actually our teacher in Hogwarts Mystery, which makes sense because Hogwarts Mystery mm. happens like right before um uh I almost said Hogwarts Legacy and that's wrong, and then I went to Wizards Unite and that's also wrong. <laughs> Harry Potter. Haroldini. <laughs> uh because you actually do spoilers, minor spoilers, I guess. It's not part of the story really or important. You meet a a young Malfoy before he's eleven, like in Hogwarts Mystery. He's a little, a little Not. brat. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> consistent with his, with his self. Uh, yeah, I was, well, cause I, I was wondering, I was like, well, how does Dumbledore know? Profe-? Like, it's not I'm like you pretty have. pretty sure she's the former. Okay. Care of magical creatures instructor. Well, it's not like you have a pool of substitute teachers. No, I wouldn't it's think like, so. You know, Dumbledore yeah. is just. It's basically calling on a favor. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So I was I was just thinking about that. Um, yeah, they have unicorns and then which I feel like is such a OK, this is going to sound really mean to unicorns, but it's such a gimmick. It's like, oh, we have a unicorn, which is this, you unicorn. know, ultra magical thing. Unicorns are also a little strange. I guess I don't know the the broader lore of unicorns as like a magical creature mm, or like a, fa- a fantasy because by something something beagle i'm pretty sure is his name it's another book who decided like oh it's just gonna be a horse but there's gonna be a giant horn sticking out of it like who thought of that (laughs) 
But this chapter is mostly about Jeff's favorite character, Rita Skeeter. I like horses. Who... I like horns. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's how it came together. <laughs> Rita. We, we have been avoiding Rita this entire book, but we we well, I guess we don't we still don't have to talk about her because I did try to find more details, more about like her childhood or her, you know, her personal early life. Couldn't really find much. Um, unlike Umbridge, for example, I was trying to find something like with Umbridge, her family, she's a half blood and she base her and her dad basically rejected right. the uh, that mm. side of her family because her brother was a squib, I believe. Uh, so I was trying to look for something like that. Like, what is your, can you give me something of like, why are you the way that you are Unclear, sort of thing? You know? But she represents very well mm-hmm. a, an approach to the truth. Yeah. That is incredibly disturbing and very real. You know what's, what's well, okay, so often Rita is talked about in terms of tabloids, mm. um, but what's, what I always find striking in this current time is how, I mean, tabloids are a thing, but like everything is digitized mm. or like digital information moves digitally. And so then it becomes, there's like a, there's this like, I don't know, just constant information flow and people talking and mm. having platforms and whatever, whatever. I, uh, here's a, here's just a random segue. I mm-hmm. read an article uh, that I found through Reddit that a scientist is attempting an experiment to prove that information, mm-hmm. not, not exactly like the way you're talking about it, but that there's a fifth type of matter and it's this information or some, something that is communicated. So it's very interesting. Anyway. You're just going to lay that on me and not let <laughs> well, me Well, I don't understand it enough, so. Well, because I'm thinking like, um, well, because I'm trying to think of when you just said that, my mind went to like um, sense making and like how senses, it doesn't, we often talk about sense making in the context of learning stuff like in our professional work where that's that's how I often talk about sense make or think about sense making but yeah. obviously there are other senses or there's like the sort of interaction of senses in making sense of the world right sort of right okay well that's uh, a thing. just <laughs> wanted to throw that out there because it's been in my mind just bouncing around well, if there is an update to that, you should. They'll let us know. Surely, yeah, they'll. It'll be all over social media. <laughs> it, it will. No. <laughs> the the back to Rita. I, I feel like she's yes. So your point about tabloids not quite capturing everything about her, I think, is is accurate. She she has such a. Um, such a specific goal i mean it's like it's clicks she wants clicks the thing about clicks rita is that it's always fleeting so you can never get enough it doesn't seem to bother her doesn't it's not clear that she's having any sort of psychological issues she seems perfectly i guess but like no one is actually her friend so like it's not she has no friends it's not like you would know what she internally is but she may think that she has a lot of friends but i i I think what strikes me is like not only the sinister way in which she gathers this information that should have been off the record, Mm -hmm. but what she surrounds it with about Hagrid of like 
who she goes to ask and it's Draco Malfoy and like what she allows to be printed. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. It's just really annoying. I mean, there's the one crab lie that is like overt and yeah. obvious because flobberworms don't even have teeth. Yep. So somebody could fact check this and see that it's false. But we have this in real life of like, mm. people don't care. Mm-hmm. If the narrative is what they want, if it matches, then they're, your they're not even going to look frame. at it. Mm-hmm. They'll just assume truth. Well, so yeah, all these things are sort of like extraneous. Like the bigger thing is tapping into people's existing um, perceptions, I guess. I don't know uh, how they feel about giants. Right. And she's doing this sort of so like um, I didn't I didn't go back to I, I meant to go back to grab the specific headline that she was trying to be like, oh, we got to figure out the story for this headline. Um, it was something about Ludo Bagman, but I, I couldn't. I was, I was gonna look at it to see about the Russell conjugate type mm. things if that was present <laughs> in there. Um, mm. But it doesn't matter because you're basically like sort of you're pushing people's buttons in, in obviously like the fear or inflammatory based way because yeah. she's bringing in like Voldemort and she's like bringing in these things yes. that are clearly. Um, meant to spark outrage. The intentionality is so brutal. It's like, it's so obvious. You know, I say that, I I wonder how people all think about this because we we experience this in real life Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Articles written to inflame passions that we maybe are latent or we're not even clear that there are connections, but they they develop connections between yep. like a half giant and I don't know, somebody getting bitten or whatever. And it, yeah, it's all, um, yeah, it's really troubling. I want to say for myself that I'm like kind of hyper aware of it at this point in my life. So I, I almost reject all news media out of hand. Like, I I just, I don't like it. I don't care for it unless it's like very specifically on one topic and it very specifically lays out just facts coldly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's what's complicated is that um, my mind went to so many different places. I think that there's there's several things, several dynamics that are happening at play, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep using social media as the the arc because, to be quite frank, that is our primary modes <clears throat> of communication, even including news media. Yeah, no, they use so social media. Social media is like the the ways it's that we connect, like the connection, the connectiveness is embedded there. Um, but there's also because it's social media, it blends a bunch of stuff. And so, okay, there's, I don't know how I'm going to like link the thoughts that are simultaneously coming out of my brain. So in grad school, we, when we studied um, scholars who really talked a lot about discourse, yeah, part of the argument uh, of discourse is that it holds power. And right. so like recirculate, recirculating or reinscribing particular narratives and that itself becomes its own thing that is powerful. And and so then people can tap into particular discourses to right. affect people or like, you know, the world or reality, like yes. what is. And 
So lately, and I'm trying, I'm trying, it's, it's hard because even though we can be aware of these things, um, still being impacted by the exposure of those things is still a reality, even if you're making sense of it in a particular way. So I have found myself this past week spending, wasting a lot of time because there's this sort of like, it's like the telephone, not exactly Gardic but like telephone game. Hmm. Something happens. Somebody mm-hmm. else says reports of what that thing is. I'm gonna. I, I'll just say one example is GDC. S- like I follow a bunch of game what developers. Oh, sorry, the Game Developers Conference. And so that was this past week. People are talking about different talks. The talks aren't po- like posted yet, so it's only whoever was in the room and those people tweeting about what supposedly was said, and then those people talking about that and like. The backlash to praising, the backlash to the thing. Praising just, it yeah. and praising it. And I'm sure that there's something there, but like the stuff that gets consumed and spread is not the thing itself. Like the right. actual experience itself was only That's the people right. in that space. That's right. So I, I want to look for some research about things like take Reddit or Twitter where what is the order of magnitude difference between the people who actually read or interact with the primary Mm-hmm. And then the people who read or interact with secondary. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, going to Reddit and looking at comments about a title and an article, but never actually clicking and reading the article. Mm-hmm. It, it's way more mm-hmm. like it's it's it must be multiple orders of magnitude higher. Yeah. That interact with commentary than the, the comment- actual yeah. thing. Well, that's why uh, Twitter was experimenting. I don't know if they actually implemented it because I don't share links. I don't. I don't share links except for my own self promo type links. Right. Like the, I don't share news media where they started doing like a little pop up, be, be, or like if you just share it, like did you read the article sort of pop up? And of course, like if you make people question, like or go through something, maybe. I, it makes sense to me that studies show, oh, people share less because it's just another barrier, another like thing to go through yeah. to make people. Let's put pause. it into this context. Yeah. This article mm-hmm. would have tons and tons of commentary around it. Yeah. But almost nobody would actually read it. Yeah. Well, part of what's tricky is that no offense to Hagrid, but this doesn't matter. Like literally this, this, this is about a person like, and so the, the other dynamic that I see, so not just like what is true, what is, what happened, but things that are more about character and who someone is Mm. and what that implies about X, Y, Z, like, I mean, both, I think kind of blend in this specific case, but like if you have even people take like what is actually said and read it in a particular way in like inferring specific things because you're making your like little circumstantial evidence jumps of being like well they said this and then there's this other thing that is related and there's there's a serious like sort of um uh common common theme about bloodline i think that's present in this specific um piece that has to do with Hagrid where there's a lot of I mean it's not that I mean it's similar to like when we're talking about mudbloods or like that sort of Hermione even says it she's like it's bigotry like the ways that 
people talk about giants and werewolves and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you're using that, which already is an existing thing. Even someone like Ron, who loves Hagrid, was kind of what I mean, Ron, I think, embodies time and time again of like, what does the larger wizarding world feel about particular topics? And that's why he got stressed about it. And he was just like, oh, no. This like, is no bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. Like, who it's all very scary. I mean, both in this world and in the real world, like there's it, there's a fear to me that it's very it's a scary situation. Yeah. Because what we have is people more concerned, speaking of discourse, with the discourses mm -hmm. than the things themselves. Mm -hmm. That the discourses are actually we knew they already had power, but they're growing to be orders of magnitude more powerful than the true things mm -hmm. that precipitated them. So it almost doesn't matter that, ha like you're saying, that Hagrid is a half-giant. What matters is what people say about Hagrid being a half-giant. Yeah. Which is, th that's where you get into the post-truth, post-factual world, where people, it's whatever narrative can get the right emotional concoction mm -hmm. to make the right people the right level of scared often or angry often yeah so that they drive the next thing to happen yeah so basically she's like um hagrid stuff happens he's the care of magical creatures teacher at mm. hogwarts stuff happened to students with false claims and non-truths of Draco and Crab saying, having those quotes, being like, oh, all of us hate him, saying that sort of stuff. And then you're like, oh, this makes sense because he's a half giant. Right. Like, you know, so you're kind of putting these things together in a very, very evil and malicious way because, because what, Rita? Rita doesn't care if Hagrid works at Hogwarts. She nope. does not care. She just cares that she could write a story about it. Hagrid is almost an abstraction to her. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he becomes an abstraction to probably most of her readers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, like Dumbledore with the letters from people who were like, yeah. if you fired Hagrid, like, we'll never forgive you. There's, there's always, that is the silent and quiet. Yeah level of like sanity in an otherwise insane situation of mm -hmm. like you had you rile people you use inflammatory infl inflammation is the goal mm -hmm. and then you have like just sane people who are able to be like this article is stupid mm -hmm. the person is what matters Hagrid matters Dumbledore don't be an idiot yeah, and none of these, so in the, like, stuff that is inflamed, minus, like, Malfoy, who is part of the worst family of all time and doesn't care and associates with the worst people, like, this, it doesn't matter, it's not of interest to the broader wizarding world, because none of those people know Hagrid, none of those people know what actually happens in the Care of Magical Creatures classroom, you're not Dumbledore, you know, and so it's, it's, uh... It's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate thing that happens, and it makes sense why Hermione just completely goes off. She just like rages against Rita. Um, I mean, 
they had a conference or like a face to face with her and she was still probing to uh, Rita was still probing to ask Harry, oh, is he like a, you know, substitute father for you or whatever, whatever it is that she is. And it, she's just an awful, awful person. It's like you're not. There are other things going on like you don't need to like because it's it is about her getting like her notoriety. You don't need to be causing chaos in a world where there's already other stuff going on, you know, in the background, even though nobody knows it yet. In the background, we have an evil dark wizard who is going to come back and rise to power. And you're just what are you doing with your life? Yeah, it's it's tough because drama sells. And Mm -hmm. so people try to manufacture it. And I don't know what the answer to that problem is. For me, it's like. It's like indulgence of any type where before I understood it well for social media and things, I would consume and consume and consume. And eventually I just got sick of it. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, I'm so over this. I can't even take it anymore. And then you, at least for me, I disconnected and I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. I don't need this. It's not worth it. Like, it doesn't add anything of value to my life. Yeah, it's so interesting because... Um, why am I doing it? Because they built it to be addictive. hmm Yeah. In spring 2020, um, I had an in-person class. The and, year itself. Yeah. And that was the first time... So I teach Gen Z students for the most part. I do have some older students, but for the most part, they're Gen Z. And that was the first semester that I had students who were very, very anti-social media. Yeah. And it was it was interesting, like the different um, reasons for why they didn't like it. And one one, though, was that it was boring, which to me, I was like, it is boring. It's and I get it, but it's also somewhat of a dangerous uh reason because wouldn't doesn't is it doesn't that explain why there's more things that are seeking to like grab you in but maybe it is more fundamental I think they're bored by that. the patterns of it the patterns are it is very predictable because people just fo- it's like trends and then following well, trends we, we've and talked more about trends this so much trends. of like you you can you can easily predict most of the time what the, the top comments are going to be yeah. what is the conversation yeah like we already know it, so there's no point in engaging with it. There's nothing to do. Yeah. We know the the main counter, we know the counter counter push, the undercurrents of mm-hmm. different connections to this story and that story and this discourse and that discourse. And it's just like I don't just give me the first facts and then I'm I'll move on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do, in my opinion, with perspective and proportionality. Like how important is the fundamental thing that mm-hmm. it shouldn't the discourses around it shouldn't become more important it's like very rarely do things stay at the level of like what is this thing we're talking about mm-hmm. it's all about and this this happens like in academia i think a lot where it's like you have a kind of a small result mm-hmm. and the whole kind of academic mindset is like well then why is that a bigger deal? Essentially, why is that a bigger deal than it actually is? Like, write it, write it in that way so that people are convinced and will give you money and they have the sort of the rhetoric around, like, this is a bigger problem 
the, we, I mean, so I've written about this in some of my work of like the, the educational narratives of like demise mm. and destruction and like everyone has just completely failed and public education is totally underwater and horrible. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you even comparing it to? That's never clear. This is just things people have said for 40 plus years mm -hmm. and then they're able to manifest it because then they are able to cut funding and able to undercut teachers and make parents more educationally expert than teachers, which is lunacy and et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. I don't want your, my average parent designing my bridges. I don't want my average parent designing my curriculum. They don't have any sense of what the techniques need to be in order to accomplish any sort of goal when it comes to teaching. So, it, you know, it, it's a similar type of this, this whole, like, uh, people need to be well-informed. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it, it ties back into the media, right? Of like, it, it, we've been convinced that we need to be well-informed. Therefore yes. we consume all of it. And so that sort of, um, because going back to like the, the, volume of information that gets circulated or gets consumed by an individual person and the 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 discourse of people need to be well informed it's it's tied up with like being well educated or like doing your own research or whatever whatever mm -hmm. there is this sort of um i think that there's a broader thought of like oh well i know because i'm informed but there's what what needs to be nuanced is expertise and yeah. like what is it that you specific like everyone has their own like stuff that they have expertise in but not all of those things are the same thing for across all people and yeah. so being able to like let that go and not need to like i need to say what i think i need to like um push back on this that or whatever or i need to even react to this or say something about this is quite a challenge in this time right now with the technological tools that we have yeah it really is and it's interesting that in this book this is pre mm. all social media essentially yeah it was got to be what like 2003 or something i don't even remember when this book came out but mm -hmm. it's definitely before twitter probably before facebook yeah i think I, facebook was 05 it's i don't know I don't know what the answer is, but it's definitely <laughs> gets the brain rolling. It is a thing. That's basically the chapter. I mean, so then there's oh, no, this I wrote, like, the, All my notes are, have nothing to do with this. Oh, okay. It's about, well, I just picked up on, excuse me, the Goblin Rebellion line yeah, that Hermione. Yeah, yeah. Oh, me too, me too, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And how they can take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gobbledygook. Gobbledygook. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say it. Um is the language of goblins. Right. And apparently I found this fun fact that Barty Crouch, well, we know that he spoke that because that's right. what Harry said, I think. I don't know. Harry's so sweet because he's like, oh, maybe they need a translator. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, Harry. Yeah. Oh, honey. <laughs> um, apparently Barty Crouch speaks over 200 languages. Right. That's like, yeah, I can't even. No, I can't it even. Seems to be some kind of magical. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, me, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, just how learning two hundred seems like it would take too long. Mm -hmm. uh, the Goblin Rebellions. I mean, we could probably actually look into this more specifically for Hogwarts Legacy 
purposes. And we um, will, yes. But Hermione uh, contrasting it with the house elves because she's basically like, oh, they can take care of themselves. Like, in, in sort of this, like, weird comment because it's kind of like, okay, that I don't know. Like, yes, it's frustrating that the house elves aren't standing up for themselves, but... Um, I don't think comparisons are necessary at the moment, but it's it's a longstanding thing. And actually, they um, they have to memorize when I looked up more specifically about when the goblin different goblin rebellions took place. They have to memorize for, I think, history of magic, the dates and mm. spoiler alert, Ron's going to struggle with some of them. <laughs> uh, and then Aberforth, that this is the last section, I think, that I have of notes. Because uh, I said to you this morning, I was like, inappropriate charms on a goat, which I know that there's this whole goat thing because it comes up in different moments throughout the series. And actually, there's a mention in Dumbledore's notes in Tales of Beetle the Bard that yes. when they would like uh, get bedtime stories or whatever, yes. his brother would want to hear Grumble the Grubby Goat, <laughs> which is so cute. But... Um, so apparently this question about what there was an eight year old at a Q&A uh, that J.K. Rowling had at Carnegie Hall okay, uh, when Where is this she was reading like excerpts of uh, Deathly Hallows and also doing a Q&A. And so the eight year old asked her what the inappropriate spell <laughs> or charms that an he used for an eight-year-old. Oh, well, because no. so she her first response. Well, I didn't. Well, yeah, her first response was, "How old are you?" And the 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 kid said eight. And then uh, J.K. Rowling replied, "I think that he was trying to make a goat that was easy to keep clean. Oh, to keep clean curly horns." And then. She says, that's a joke that works on a couple of levels. <laughs> I really like Aberforth and his goats, but you know, Aberforth having this strange fondness for goats, if you've read book seven, came in really useful to Harry later on because a goat, a stag, you know, if you're a stupid de Death Eater, what's the difference? So that's my answer to you. <laughs> that's what she said to an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just yeah. wants clean, curly horns. Yeah. <laughs> This anyway, is, okay. That's <laughs> having done D and D yesterday. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those things where she's a DM. There's in no this way situation. she has an answer. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. so it's terrifying to be asked something like that in in I imagine in a public setting. Yeah, it, the amount of times that I would have to be like, yeah, it, it doesn't it, that no answer. There's no answer. You can't tell the little kid. Oh no, she's like the there's no answer that I wrote. Like, just have to make it up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny, though. Yeah, no, it is funny. <laughs> and Elvis, like, sharing that, it's really funny. It's a, such a sibling thing, this focus. It's clear that Aberforth, at this point in his life, clearly has lived an extremely long life. Yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously has a ton of complexities to him, even though we don't know him. He would have to. And uh, his his older brother just focuses on the goats. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. He's a thing from when they were kids. He's trying to comfort Hagrid, and he's yeah. like, "Oh yeah, by the way, remember, goats, 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 goats. Could be weirder. <laughs> Could be weirder. <laughs> all right, that's really all that I had. All right, that was fun. Okay. Until next time, Juan's ready. ready.